1: Welcome. Uh, this is our third uh, Royer Cooper Cohen Braunfeld Opportunity Fund update call. Uh, we appreciate everybody dialing in. Um, just logistically, uh, everybody but uh, the presenters is on mute right now. And if you have questions, uh, as always, you can email me myself at dcovello at com or the address on uh, the, the flyer that we send out, rdub at rccblaw.com. Uh, we'll take questions at the end. Um, today's guests are myself, Dustin Cavillo of the tax group here at Aurora Cooper. Um, I help clients with uh, forming funds, invite, tax advice related to opportunity funds, um, you know, complying with the rules as they put together real estate projects. And my colleague, uh, Jen Tinnenfast, is here as well. She's in our real estate department and helps clients with uh, opportunity fund acquisitions and other acquisitions um, in this space, um, you know with all the the real estate aspects, diligence, financing, uh, acquisition, and all those types of things. Um, so thank you all for dialing in. Um, just uh, as a reminder, our next call, uh, which will be two weeks from today, we'll be with our our guest from the PIDC, uh, the Philadelphia uh, Industrial Development Corporation, um, who have a public-private model where they help clients, you know, with financing, uh, low-income, low-interest financing and development projects, and they also help with diligence and other services. So, they'll tell us a little bit about how they can help clients uh, interested in doing deals in and around Philadelphia. Um, So, we're excited about that too. So, uh, I guess with that, um, you know, just, The focus of today's call uh is really on um you know if i'm wearing a real estate developer hat uh what should i do you know how do i get involved why should i get involved and what's the process to get involved um so i think that'll be really good for developers it also obviously be good for anybody else in this space hopefully you know to understand what the issues are because you might be looking at them through a different lens but you know knowing what those issues are and how they can be solved can hopefully uh uh, help everybody um, reach a resolution that makes sense and get these deals done. Um, so I guess the first the first big question, and, and we'll be brief on this, is, uh, you know, why would anybody want to be involved in opportunity funds? Uh, we've talked about this on some prior calls and, and there's a lot of literature, but at a high level, um, the reason you would get an opportunity fund is that if you hold an equity interest in an opportunity fund for 10 years, uh, then when you sell that equity interest, Uh, whenever that happens, whether it's 10 years or 100 years, um, you have no capital gain. Your your basis uh, mechanically gets stepped up to the fair market value of the equity interest, so that way when you sell it, you're deemed to have no capital gain. Um, Secondly, in order to kind of uh, cause people to reallocate pre-existing capital gain into these opportunity funds, um, if you sell something to, you know, a $100 gain, for instance, in, in 2018, in order to fund your investment and opportunity fund, you get to defer that tax up until 2026. Um, and also, if you hold it for five years, you forgive 10% of the pre-existing capital gain. If you hold it for seven years, you forgive 15%, excuse me, of the pre-existing capital gain. So the big economic incentive or the big tax incentive is is tax-free appreciation on your investment in the opportunity fund. Uh, you know, kind of the carrot to get you to invest upfront um, and alleviate some of the tax burden of rolling capital gains into an opportunity fund is both a deferral to 2026 and a partial forgiveness of pre-existing capital gains that you roll into the fund. So that's kind of the investor perspective. And what that does is, um, you know, it causes investors to be very interested in these opportunities, right? Because, of uh, because you know, the substantial tax benefits can, can really help their IRR. Um, and that means there's a lot of uh, appetite And there's a lot of appetite for these funds and, um, you know, helps developers put together projects with, frankly, lower cost capital. So uh, I guess, you know, with that, um, Jen, I guess the first question is, okay, great, there's these big uh, investor uh, tax benefits, but why are they doing this? Why is the government putting together these funds to begin with?
0: So, um, at a very basic level, the whole concept behind this bill which is sort of authorized and operated through the department of the treasury is to create jobs and just for economic development that is the goal and to do so the government worked with each individual state and our commonwealth to um, identify properties or areas which were really um, needing investment and and focus so what they did was each state governor was um requested through either its department of economic development or some other agency arm to nominate um the greater of 25 percent of all low-income communities in the state or 25 census tracts obviously it was the benefit to the states themselves to nominate the or ob- obtain a higher nomination of, of low-income communities here in the commonwealth of pennsylvania governor wolf nominated 300 census tracts within the Commonwealth, and ultimately 300 of them were designated. That means that there are 300 census tracts that are uh, subject of this program. The process from that point forward is for a developer to be able to identify a property that would be subject of a Qualified Opportunity Zone. To do that, the best way is to check out the map which is being hosted by the CDFI or on the Department of the Treasury's website. That map, you're able to track a property via its actual municipal address or to search via census track data.
1: Um, and, and that map is, uh, is linked to in our client alert, right, Jen? And we, can, we can certainly recirculate that so that everybody has access to the, to the map.
0: That's right. So, um, identifying a property, it's important, obviously, to review the maps to, to figure out exactly where properties are located and if they're eligible within one of these census data tracks. However, um, you need to do your homework, not all properties, just because they're adjacent, close by, or you think that they might, or you've heard that they might be eligible for QOZ, are. And so if you ever have any questions, you can always call your friendly lawyer here at RCCB and we can help you out, confirming whether or not a property is eligible.
1: So, so yeah, so I'm a developer, you know, I'm, I'm uh, interested in this space. I go to the map and I locate and, and I cross-reference to get census tracts and parcel IDs, and I confirm there's a property that I want to develop. Um, I guess, you know, that's that's the paradigm, right? You start with a brand new project uh, located in a zone, but we're also getting a lot of questions on things that are maybe outside that kind of, you know, very simple classic paradigm, right? So So maybe we should talk for a minute or so about uh about what might not work for opportunity zone benefits. Um because the rules, although they're very powerful, are are also, you know, relatively narrowly tailored to to spur new investment in, in these zones, right? So I guess the, the first thing is if, you know, if I if I already owned a property and and you know by happenstance it ha it, it happens to be in a zone, would I be able to uh would I be able to develop that and get opportunity fund benefits? No. No. Um Right. So so the rules are, um, you know, you need to purchase the property after uh, December 31, 2017 in order to in order to qualify. Um, so if I wanted to do something maybe a little bit more creative um, in order to get those benefits, there could be ways to do it. Right. What if I were to sell a property to to uh, somebody I know and take into account a the valuation increase. Right. Because they may get opportunity fund benefits and create that purchase after after January. One twenty eighteen um that could work, but then you know there's constraints there too, right, like the related party rules that that would only work if you sell it to somebody who's not related from a tax perspective, which at a very high level means you know there's not overlapping ownership of of twenty percent um between the two between the buyer and the seller, and that includes selling things to your family members who own twenty percent selling it to companies that you own twenty percent of so Um, you can, you can do it if you're willing to kind of structure a new purchase, but you got to be careful and and you got to kind of thread that needle. Um, I guess the other part of that, 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 you know, is very important to know is, you know, again, this is an economic development tool, right? So if I were to buy a, uh, uh, you know, a pre-existing building that's already been, uh, put in service, um, and, and hold it, you know, would, would that work? um the answer is probably no the answer is no because uh, you know in order to spur economic development the government wants uh, wants either one of two things to qualify as opportunity fund uh, assets uh, original use which means you know building a new building essentially or substantial improvement which means you know doubling the cost investment in the building uh over 30 months from from the date that the opportunity fund you know acquires the building so you know, those are two important things to know. Pre-existing property, you know, it might be structured. There's going to be some more complexity and possibly some more upfront costs. Um, a buy-and-hold type strategy, where there's not a big capital expenditure expected, is is not, you know, is not something that's going to work. So, you know, let's say I have a project in the zone, and I it's not one of those kind of uh, uh, situations that that aren't likely to work. It's a situation that is likely to work, right? It's a brand new. Brand new development project um, to spur economic development and I'm going to have a substantial improvement or original use or whatever. Um, I guess, what what do I do next, Jen? How do I start developing this this property and, you know, I guess specifically what uh, what's maybe different about the ordinary um, development process um, that you have to worry about or, or think about in order to make sure you qualify for Opportunity Zone benefits?
0: So I think the most important thing to think about once you've identified a property that is compliant for the program is timing. Um, This uh, Qualified Opportunity Funds and Qualified Opportunity Zones, um, the timelines are running coterminants alongside the development timeline. Most important thing is to be thoughtful about the process from the agreement of sale to the actual acquisition and later construction of the property. Um, First to note, while it sounds like maybe there are a lot of properties available to you in the Commonwealth or here in Philadelphia County, one thing to remember though is that these properties will be actively bid up. People are learning more about this opportunity and seeking out investment um, potential properties in those locations.
1: Right. So that's an important point. You know, from uh, the rules are not fully baked, um, and I, what I mean by that is the statute was uh, came out at the end of 2017, but um, you know, it's it's vague in a lot of kind of very important respects. So what happens is the IRS and the Treasury issue rules that um are expected to come out, frankly, any day, but but might not come out to the end of the month. They might not come out until next month, they might not come out for a while. So um, you know, we know generally how this program works and how these investments work, but we don't know all the material business terms that you know a developer and an investor would want to know. But but I guess your point, Jen, is you know, um we know enough, particularly where the zones are, that you know, people are already starting to buy. And and it's probably better to get in early than late, you know, because valuations and the good valuations are increasing. The uh, the properties um, that are attractive are getting tied up early and, and that sort of thing. So uh, if I'm a developer, I'm kind of stuck in between. You know, I I want to move forward. I want to capture these opportunities before everybody else does. But I don't know exactly what my project looks like. So what do I do? How do I protect myself?
0: So um, as I said before, timing is really important, uh, as any developer knows. Um, While we might craft uh, deadlines or timeframes for due diligence, for any type of investigation related to the property, or for obtaining permits, governmental approvals, zoning, um, those deadlines are sometimes easy to change. Uh, Parties will agree to amend or extend them, so it's important to think about when you enter into an agreement of sale for one of these properties, do I have enough time? Um, And so you should be looking and being thoughtful about building in the appropriate length periods for things like due diligence and zoning. Now, of course, um, if you've identified a property that is a QOZ, you know that the property is compliant with the QOZ and QOF program. However, you know you still need to go through zoning, you have to obtain all of your architectural and engineering plans, environmental due diligence, investigation, title, and financing. So the development process can be long. there is no standard or rule of thumb for those time periods. However, you should be mindful of the length and the time that it takes to get things done wherever you're um, developing a property and bake that into your agreement of sale.
1: Right. And and that, that timing really becomes probably the most complexity. Uh, obviously, every development project, you know, you're trying to uh, uh, tie together timing with respect to your equity and your debt financing zoning and all those things, but, but layering on opportunity fund benefits really creates some additional complexity. I think that's probably where we'll spend you know the next five or ten minutes in the bulk of the call. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about that. So you know the 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 important time frames to remember from a from a tax perspective in order to get investors benefits. And again, you know the point is to if you can get your investors benefits, you might reduce your cost of capital or get an increased carry or something like that as a developer. Um, you know, uh, investors have 180 days from from the day they trigger a capital gain to invest in an opportunity fund. So what that means is, uh, you know, if I have just cash on my balance sheet and I invest in an opportunity fund, I, I won't get the benefits that we talked about earlier on the call. Um, what I need to do is have a capital gain, because, again, what they're trying to do at a high level is cause investors to reallocate from, uh, you know, public stocks, things like that into Opportunity Zones. So they want you to redeploy your capital gains, which means you got to trigger your capital gains. And uh, the statute calls for a 180-day deadline. So if if somebody were to sell Apple stock on June 30th, that means uh, by December 30th or, or they're you know right around there, whatever 180 days from June 30th is, um, they need to invest in something that's going to be an opportunity fund. Um, so that's the investor side uh, deadline. Um, and what investors are doing in the marketplace right now is, you know, ones who are coming up on the 180-day deadline, they're saying to, you know, uh, a fund sponsor or developer, look, let me put my uh, rolled over capital gain into your entity um, so that I can, you know, meet my 180-day deadline. And then what that does is uh, triggers other deadlines that are developer deadlines, right? So you have the investor 180-day deadline, which is relatively simple and straightforward, but then once uh, once a developer um, has an opportunity fund, which is frankly, you know, just a limited partnership or an LLC, um, once once they have an opportunity fund, uh, there's, there's two dates on which they need to have more than 90% of their assets comprised of what are called opportunity zone assets. Opportunity zone assets classically are, um, you know uh, the building in the opportunity fund uh, tangible property within the opportunity zone which is those uh, census designated tracks. So if you you know have an investor give you give you uh, the proceeds of their capital gain and you develop you know you invest it into improving a property you're not going to have any problem meeting meeting that 90% test but the the complexity or you know the tension becomes Investors trying to meet their 180-day deadline, so they give the developer uh, their cash. But the developer, you know, as, as Jen said, not meet, not not having the project 100% teed up because of zoning restrictions or you know other financing uh, complexity. You know, they need to meet their balance sheet test. So again, the, the balance sheet test is on June 30th and whatever the last day of the tax year, which in most cases it'll be a calendar year, but could be other times. Um, you need to have 90% of the assets comprised of qualified opportunity zone assets. And this is an area uh, where, you know, again, the the statute is not 100% clear and the treasury regulations and the IRS regulations that we expect imminently will hopefully provide a lot of flexibility and clarity because it looks like under the statute, you know, cash from investors might not be a good asset. So if you think about it, you know, an, uh, an investor says, I need to meet my 180 days. So, uh, I, I provide or transfer the uh, the cash, you know, comprised of my capital gain into a fund on, say, June 29th. Well, on June 30th, that cash on the balance sheet is a bad asset, so if that's the only asset in the in the fund at that point, you know, because it's earmarked to develop, that might not qualify. And if it doesn't qualify, then you don't have a good opportunity fund and the whole program kind of falls apart. So we're hoping that, you know, a couple of things, and this will help developers, but we're hoping that... Um, you know, working capital or uh, cash earmarked for redevelopment or acquisition funds of uh, Opportunity Zone assets will qualify, but we don't know that yet. Again, that's, you know, something that's a little bit unclear under the statute and, and hopefully will be clarified under the regs. Um, the other deadline that – that uh, that and, and we'll circle back on that, you know, on some practical uh, problem, you know, perhaps structuring tips um, to, to kind of, you know, alleviate that pressure. Um for a developer, but the other deadline that a developer needs to to be aware of is uh, the substantial improvement deadline so as as we said um you know this is really intended to spur economic investment into the zones <clears throat> um and to do that you need to double your cost basis so if you buy a for a building for a million dollars, you need to put another million dollars into the building to to improve it um, over the ensuing thirty months from the day you buy your building um, and and if you don't do that, it's a bad opp- it's a bad asset for that 90% opportunity uh, zone test, and and you don't qualify. So um, that's the other deadline to be mindful of, right? 30 months sounds like a long time, but but you know with the zoning deadlines and things like that, it it, it starts to it starts to kind of creep up. So I guess the question is, you know, I'm a developer. Um, I have uh, you know I got an agreement of sale. Um, like Jen said, it's kind of it gives me some flexibility and, and hopefully termination rights uh, if if the project doesn't you know meet opportunity fund uh, uh, requirements or any other diligence issue as well. Um, what are some practical things I can do to try to satisfy you know investors to get them to qualify and meet their 180 day test, but also uh, maximize the chances and and you know get as much certainty as possible that I'll meet the balance sheet test. Um, I guess what are what are we seeing in the marketplace, Jen? You know, sometimes we're seeing uh, you know kind of staged callings, right? That's one way to alleviate. Um, I guess the simplest way to do it, and and I haven't seen this in many transactions at all, but it would be very developer friendly. Is you know a developer that has a call, frankly, or subscription on um, on investor capital, right? And you know that that might not work for investors looking to roll other capital gains that aren't voluntary or, or that are difficult to time you know if they sell some real estate if they sell a business um, but what it would work for is you know an investor with uh, a substantial kind of appreciated brokerage account right they own a bunch of apple stock and they can sell that basically whenever they want um, you know so if you're going to family offices in places where uh, investors typically have um, uh, Pretty substantial brokerage accounts you know those types of investors may be very amenable to that model you know so that uh, once you have everything teed up as the developer you can call the capital to go buy the building and start your project um, the other thing that that uh, you know could could alleviate those types of situations where you have trouble meeting your balance sheet test is, is staged investments right you know don't call all your capital on day one which which will give you the capital in the bank in your bank account in order to build a building. But you know, increase the chances that you have to be mindful and, and could possibly fail the balance sheet test. But rather, you know, call the capital almost like a construction loan, drawdown uh, over the course of time, right? So you know, day one you have your acquisition funds, day hundred, day hundred eighty you have your uh, 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 construction deposit. Um, you know, and, and as you need draws, you take more and more investor capital, um, and that way you almost have like a rolling process for investors to say, look, you know. I'm gonna need capital on, on uh, January 1. If you wanna be in that batch, you're you're welcome to join. I'm gonna need capital on, on, say, March 1st. If you wanna be in that batch, you're welcome to join. And, uh, and that way, you know, investors can kind of self-select when they come into the fund in order to meet the rules, in order to meet their 180-day rules without the uh, developer sitting on too much cash um, and, and violating the balance sheet test. Um, I guess the, the other thing to be mindful of there is uh is really you know again marrying up and and being mindful of both uh substantial improvement test and the zoning test at the same time right because because uh we know that the, the substantial improvement test starts at the date of acquisition so you know if 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 you can kind of um uh stage your financing so that um your zoning approval and your financing come you know relatively close in time you're going to have a lot more uh, uh, likelihood that you'll be able to meet that substantial improvement test compared to you know, some deals, Jen, right, where you need to close on the property and acquire the property before you get zoning approval, which is rare, but, but happens.
0: Um, I figured maybe um, we could go back and talk a little bit also about the kinds of properties contained in those census tracts. Um, I know when you hear low-income communities, people sometimes think one way or another, but the the Department of the Treasury and the CDFI are using somewhat aged census data. Um, So while um, these census tracts have been selected for this program, actually encompass all different kinds of communities, um, and you'll find that there are even census tracts that track into the middle of cities, Um, maybe not the most like the corner of 18th and Market, but other locations that might be really um, attractive to developers, there are even neighborhoods in Philadelphia. You'd be surprised actually appear on these as a low-income communities, determined to be something that has about a 20% poverty rate. Um, but that can be spread out in different ways. So um, don't forget to check out those track maps. They're um, Pretty interesting, and you might be able to find a property that's attractive to you.
1: Yeah, no, uh, most of University City is, is is in an opportunity zone, which is a great investment opportunity area here in here in uh, Philadelphia. Um, in Baltimore, uh, a lot of the Inner Harbor, which is a great investment area, is in an opportunity zone. You know, there's patches of Manhattan, um, mostly up, up up northern Manhattan, but there's patches of Manhattan there in Arizona. zone. So, so that's a great point, Jen. You know, just perusing that map as a developer. Uh, you might be surprised to learn that uh that there's really good investment opportunities, you know, um that, that qualify here. Um, I think uh we're about out of time. Uh we have a, a couple of questions. Um I guess the first question is uh you know if I'm a developer and I have my own capital gain can can I participate in this program? Uh the answer there is yes. You know you don't need third party um capital Capital gains to fund an opportunity fund. Uh, you know, frankly, the same person can fulfill all those roles, right? What we're seeing more in the marketplace is, you know, kind of three people, right? Your investors, your kind of fund sponsor, who's or a capital aggregator, who's who's helping those investors locate projects, and a developer, you know, developer who's actually, you know, doing doing the work to improve the property um but you could certainly you know cut out uh uh, the fund sponsor if, if, if you're an experienced developer you can develop your own property right you have your own capital gain from selling um you know from exiting an investment um and then you you roll that capital gain into your new project again you still have to be mindful of the balance sheet test and your own 180 day deadline on all those things but you can do it um we also we have a question uh can can i Use an opportunity zone for my personal residence um, the answer there is 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 no uh, it, this is really intended to spur investment you know in commercial property um, you know certainly you, the value of your property may may increase over the next couple of years and you have other tax benefits for personal residences like the home mortgage interest deduction and the exclusion for selling you know for capital gains on selling your personal residence. But but you wouldn't qualify for you know opportunity zone benefits uh, if you're if you're if you happen to buy a residence within an opportunity zone. Um, I, I guess that's that's the that's it for today. That's uh, all the all the questions we have. Um, hopefully this was informative. Uh, as always, we will record and distribute the call so that you're you're free to kind of listen it again or pass it along to, to any, uh, any other colleagues of yours and we look forward to the next call with the PIDC 2 weeks from today on you know utilizing these resources to to help uh, find good good projects thanks a lot and thanks to Jen for t- participating and thanks to all of you for dialing in